0: Welcome to Men in Charge. I'm Kevin Decker,
1: and I'm Tony Flynn. And I don't have a cold. Kevin does, and he's uh, not a pretty sight. He's—it's good to be sick for radio, but he'll—he's coming along.
0: It is. I've got a whole box of tissues here. I just keep pulling them out and throwing them away. I don't know what you're supposed to do with them. But Ball I them up and throw them on the floor. Yeah, I understand that they have something to do with crying and with having a cold. So <laughs> Neither of which I'm used to doing, uh, because I'm a stoic. Uh, what about today's show? Today's show? Is? Why don't
1: I tell us? Today's show is the last show in Men in Charge ever, until it's resumed at some point. <laughs> but it is called... Quite rightly. Tony and Kevin decide to quit. And why did we decide to quit, Kevin?
0: This was just too much work, man. When something turns into not a second full-time job, but a third and a fourth full-time job, on top of your first full-time job, you know, you have to, no matter how fun it is, and it has been fun.
1: In a draining way, like giving blood every five minutes. Yeah,
0: that's correct. And we have given you our blood, listener. We hope that you've, is it too gross to say lapped it up? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay, I won't say that. So don't say laughed it up
1: and that'll be edited out. Uh, But the important thing is it's not just our work. So many times we've had cast members leave the studio in tears Mm -hmm. because of how we berate them in the direction. And also because it takes time away from family and opportunities to eat and have a job. We were never really able to get anybody to do any of the work. They thought, that free wasn't a good enough reason.
0: Yeah, and I recall that during the whole of season four, which was lost,
1: lost terribly in a shipwreck.
0: That's right. Tony and I were both living in the studio pretty much, and and we were. I mean, we had sleeping bags and bunk beds, and it was yeah. uh, that, that <laughs> was where we had beds, to live. Yeah. Kevin had uh, sleeping, sleeping bags. Bag. Yeah, half yeah. of a sleeping bag.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is another yeah. reason we're quitting. Yeah. But we do have to say how much we've enjoyed it. I mean, we have to out of politeness. Our Mm -hmm. parents raised us well. We've enjoyed hearing from the listener, Darlene. Yeah, from the listener. Yeah. We appreciated her input, like, I got you guys by mistake. I wanted to hear Prairie Home Companion. Yeah, yeah. That was annoying, but we put her on a bus for Nantucket, didn't we? Yeah,
0: we did. And we also appreciate those of you who called into the station that you heard this on and made pledges for Men in Charge premiums, like broken Men in Charge coffee cups. The $900 t-shirts. The $900 t-shirts. And of course, the famous Men in Charge cough drops, which I have the last one of, and I'm about to take.
1: I think that's a re-rolled one here.
0: Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. That's not a cough drop at all.
1: Yeah. But Kevin... um... As things continue to deteriorate, mm-hmm. perhaps we should discuss what's coming yeah. and... The surprise,
0: two surprises. Oh yes, there are surprises. You know, one thing that's not a surprise is Tony and I were often approached by the radio moguls here to do uh, holiday-themed episodes. We're not really in favor of holiday-themed episodes or holidays. Yeah, or holidays, except for Arbor Day and for me Bastille Day and my birthday and Tony's birthday. Not my birthday. Not your birthday. Uh, they're so close, we roll them together sometimes. Yeah. But we did decide to go ahead and put together some Christmas program for you. We'll call it holiday programming to be inclusive on today's episode.
1: And we uh, make droll remarks about that kind of inclusivity or the lack thereof. So first up, we have a segment long delayed, (laughs) Vern Windham radio trickster. How did men in charge get on the air? And how did we bend Vern Windham to our will? This segment explains how.
0: And after that, we've got a brief commercial announcement about holiday gift suggestions from men in charge. We know that you feel like us. It's tiresome year after year after year after year at the same time of year to get gifts for friends, loved ones, and enemies. We've got a few new ideas that we hope will be helpful.
1: And punitive. After that, the last of one of my favorite segments of all time, FCSI, this is the fifth in the series, Fertile Crescent Sumerian Investigations. From long ago, (laughs) with early torture technologies, we go back to see how being a cop was in Babylon.
0: It's kind of like Hill Street Blues meets the Flintstones. Just think of it that way. (laughs) And funny. It's uh, very funny. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And we're going to finish up with the pox and phlegm war on Christmas. It's
1: the, the counteroffensive against the war on Christmas. Our friends at pox and phlegm, Jeff White, Blanche Whitney, and Bobby Vanilla, talk to a certain Florida governor <laughs> who, um, who just whoo, won't uh, go away. And you know he won't, but you'll hear from him about Christmas, and the ending is bleak, so that's good. <laughs> happy holidays <laughs> to you.
0: But wait, there's more.
1: That's right. There's the podcast version, because we don't want to spill beyond the uh, federally mandated 29-minute limit to the show, but the podcast version, we can go on for hours, which we do with two more segments.
0: That's right uh for all and for all you know, all of our podcasts available wherever good podcasts are. Or distributed freely. Yeah, distributed freely may have additional content as well. So that's a good reason to go back and check out some of our previous programs. In addition to what you have just heard us talk about, we have the wrap-up to Deirdre and Sleestack. This is the reptilioid human British comedy series that we started this season. And Deirdre and Sleestack are back in Sleestack times and trying to find the murderer of human in the present. Yeah, so,
1: that. It'll be great. It's British comedy detection at its upper echelon. After that, there's the final commercial for benign crime. You know the concept of reification, everyone? In which there's a <laughs> condition that is constructed, but not natural, and we assume it's a natural condition, and we don't think about it. That's benign crime.
0: We should talk more about sir, on the show, although <laughs> it's ending, so uh,
1: whoops. <laughs> A commercial for Benign Crime. Listen carefully and then you'll know what it's about. Listener, have you ever wondered how Kevin and I were able to get men in charge on the air all those years ago?
0: You know how we thank Vern Windham, former program director, at the end of each episode? It's because Vern was our earliest champion and supporter. And how did we enlist his enthusiasm? All we had to do was create a series of coercive radio scenarios.
2: Well, good evening, Vern. I bet
0: you're wondering why none of your youth symphony kids have shown up yet. And when they do, you'll find that
1: they've all forgotten to bring their music. And none of them will have even
0: touched their instruments for over a week.
1: (laughs) So, Vern, ready to sign our memo demanding a time slot for men in charge yet? If not... It's the youth cacophony you'll be conducting from now on.
0: Sorry, no.
1: What? You're a day off. The next youth symphony rehearsal isn't until
3: tomorrow night.
1: Damn Damn it. Well, Kevin, that was humiliating. Like a visit with the matron at the boys' ranch,
0: remember? Boy, howdy. We need to come up with a coercive radio scenario that doesn't demand so much calendar awareness. I know. Okay, Vern, I think we've got you this time. I hope you've been practicing your signature. You sign our men-in-charge memo and we take the boot off your car. Easy, right? We're in the middle of North Dakota, miles from anywhere, so... You refuse and try to walk home instead and those vultures will pick you off long before it gets dark. Well, boys, you've forgotten something.
1: What did we, that is Kevin,
0: forget? You see,
4: boys, my car's the only one out here. So unless you take that boot off, The vultures will soon be picking
0: you off, especially since you're both a lot plumper than I am. Damn it. He's right, Tony. You'll pay for this. Run! Clearly, listener, we next had to move to an easier coercive radio scenario, one where we could get a ride home afterwards. Okay, Vern. let's see how long you can
1: stick it in this biker bar. These guys will take your head off if you even just look at them funny. Remember, as soon as you sign our men-in-charge memo, all this goes away. Well,
0: first, I could do with a beer. How about a pilsner from the Bavarian foothills? Back in a minute, Vern, with your beer and a little trouble for you to deal with. Hey, you! Are
4: you Vern Wyndham, celebrity broadcaster with a strangely equable disposition? Kevin here just said you called me a smelly old lardo with a face like an ingrown toenail. Did you?
1: A more interesting question is why the only Misorgsky you have on your damn jukebox is pictures at an exhibition. What? Do you even know the names of the Victor Hartman pictures that music is referring to? Of
3: course not.
0: Well, then I'll tell you.
5: Hey, shut up, everybody! Vernier is going to explain the visual
0: reference in the Makortsky. I don't think this is working either, Tony. I said, shut up! Ugh. So, listener, how do you suppose we finally got Vern Wyndham's signature on the memo demanding that men in charge get a regular time slot? Well, listener, we never did.
1: Instead, we asked Brian Lindsay, the only man to have robbed a stagecoach with no one aboard, to program us in on the sly. So, for all Vern
0: knows, he actually did sign our memo. He must have, we tell him, for why else would we thank him every week?
1: That and a weekly pilsner from the Bavarian foothills keeps Vern Windham deep in the men-in-charge pocket. And it's time again for the annual Men in Charge last minute holiday gift suggestions. And we've got some blue ribbon doozies this time around.
0: New this year is our nativity-themed pet food, including a year's supply of stable and manger snacks for all your cats. Comes in both pellets and nuggets. You just add the water and <laughs> stand back. Or how about a
1: case or two of Star of Bethlehem Light Year Beer, For each of your grumpy neighbors There's nothing more satisfying to sip on As they sit back and listen to your Additional gift subscription to them Of the brand new Men in Charge podcast We're calling Immaculate Conception Family Planning Tips For the Carelessly Devout They'll thank you over and over For your generosity And then wonder if
0: there's any more beer under that tree Or for the non-imbibers on your list, how about our Three Wise Men and a Camel Sandal and Saddle Repair Kit? This modest little stocking stuffer comes with not only a complimentary water bottle pre-filled at the factory, but a handy wallet-sized laminated map of the Holy Land, each individually signed by a practicing cartographer.
1: Or why not consider gifting copies of one of the very latest Men in Charge publishing releases entitled Climate Change and Advent, What Lies Ahead? This book comes with extensive notes, study questions, and a large fold-out hand-colored map highlighting many of the book's references to various New Testament holiday hotspots soon to be permanently underwater. What a treat for your coffee table. Whether you're a big giver or an indifferent wrapper of packages, let the folks at Men in Charge help you manage to get through another holiday season without needing another intervention. Call us today.
0: We're standing down. We're standing up. We're standing firm. And we're standing by the phones, that is. That's Men in Charge Holiday Gift Giving Adventures. We've been helping you help yourself to all that we have to offer always, and especially now. Happy Holidays, everyone!
4: Men in Charge, synthesizing things that don't belong together since 2012.
0: And now it's time for FCSI, Fertile Crescent Sumerian Investigators, in its jaw-droppingly alarming 73rd season on radio. With top European stars Matt Berry, Tears Underwood, and Marfa Delahanty, it's the gritty cocktail of ancient Sumerian crime scene investigators Lugauzeghizi, Urukagina, and Limpet, as they bring justice to the relatively clean and peaceful backstreets of Babylon, capital of the Amorites, Our story opens about tea time on Tuesday, July 3rd, 3253 BC. Time for FCSI. Hail Patrolwoman
1: Limpet. How's the goddess Inanna been treating you today?
6: Hail Patrolman Yurukagina. Listen, you better watch out. Now that we're under the heel of the Amorites, we can't talk about the old gods with the same freedom as we used to.
1: Don't worry about me. I was originally born in Babylon. I know how things shake out here.
6: Ugh. Here comes Patrolman Sargon, the Amorite. This guy's not playing with all his cubits.
5: Hello, hello, hello. Well, Sumerian colleagues, you sure look dour. Did your gods lay a dump on you again?
1: Ha, <laughs> ha. I've heard that the gods you Babylonians worship are pretty vicious with their followers as well. That's propaganda.
5: Our gods want us to be rich, happy, and invited to frequent orgies. That's why they bid us construct the tallest tower in the world. Maybe you've seen it. Just more parties for us to have to break up. Sheesh.
6: What's the tower have to do with your Babylonian hedonism?
5: Don't you know?
6: No. That's why I asked.
5: <laughs> oh, of all the you Sumerians are really thick. You really don't know what the tower is for? <laughs>
3: We're waiting for you to illuminate us.
5: <laughs> well, it's for. Well, I don't know. There's got to be some reason for it, no? The transmitter for talking to the gods. Oh, Sergeant Hittite, I didn't see you there lurking in the shadows behind the
1: duty desk.
4: I'd love to lurk. It's fortunate there are so many wonderful lurking spots in
1: Babylon. I feel like this is not the kind of discourse that police are supposed to engage in.
6: You and me both. Hi!
5: What's that
7: noise? Now I have to face up and down The power this little invention of Lieutenant Lugalza gave
5: Pace up and down?
7: Why?
4: Sergeant Hittite, you reading me? The Lou calls it a walkie talkie. When you walk around, it generates something he calls, I uh, forgot the name.
1: Genetic energy. You work, and so you can talk through it. I hear it's the next big thing in Mesopotamian policing.
6: A real step above the old two clams connected by a string that we had in the old precinct.
4: What's
1: up, boss? I want you to meet me downstairs, outside the interrogation room. On the way. The interrogation room. He's got Warad and Lil down there. A real piece of work.
6: You know, there's something that I never figured out. Well, you'd think a crafty street rat like Warad and Lil would take advantage of the lack of law and order in Ur. But instead, he followed his ear. To Babylon.
1: It's almost like he missed us. Yeah, well,
5: the Lou is going to try out a new torture technique on him today, so he's going to wish he'd stayed back in your old toilet of a town.
3: Ah, geez, Language
5: patrol. Ancient Akkadian sir.
0: That's right. Now get on with your duties. Meanwhile, in the dim and dusty corridors below the police station, Lieutenant Lugalzegezi is musing about change on a grand cosmic scale. Hmm. You know, it was just yesterday that we were using clay tablets
4: without straw to record criminal conversations. Now, it's like a new day. With clay that has straw baked into it. you I am, boss. What's up? Oh! Don't lurk around the corner like that, Sergeant. Well, no use crying over broken clay. I guess that added straw doesn't really make much of a difference anyway. The more things change... The more they change. It's a tautology, Lou. Everyone knows that one. I don't know, Hittite. Back in Suma, it was tricky to tell what was crime... And what was just innocent romancing of farm animals. I thought Lamurabi took care of all that for you. Now we know where we stand. Do we? Once, we were the black-headed people. Our gods basically hated us. They sent fire... Flood, some strange infestations, once there was a plague of kittens. The Emrite gods are pretty stand up guys and gals. The other day I found a bag of shekels in the road and look at the return to their owner. When Tiamat graced me with an instruction Keep it, she told me. Well, I think there's a generation gap, my boy. I'm just a police lieutenant from prehistory, while you and the other new officer recruits are kicking off history proper. I do have a bronze badge, not an iron one like yours. Well, one thing hasn't changed the need to torture suspected criminals within an inch of their life to see if they're innocent or not. Like Moran and Lil here. I thought I smelled a cigarette.
3: Half time, coppers. Did you bring me in for questioning or for nap time? He's a feisty
4: one. Thank goodness he's tied down. Warad and Lil's just a welter of denial. Hey, I take that personally. I wasn't born within 500 miles of Nile. Has anyone read you your veranda warning, scum?
7: If you don't tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, will take you out the veranda and beat you silly. Bah, you don't scare me, copper.
4: Don't engage with the prisoner, Sergeant. Instead, let's offer him some... Syrian box torture. Check out that box in the corner. A uh, uh, Syrian box torture? What's that? <laughs> hey, wouldn't you like to know? Now, scum, let's get you up and walking <coughs> over to that box. Open it up, sergeants. Hey, hey, what what's in there? What are you going to do to me, pig? I know about my rights. I don't got any. Okay, what do we do now, boss? Reach inside, Hittite. Fudda, Fudda. Whatever it is, I got it. Hey, what a pretty little box. Wouldn't you like to know what's in the box, Warad and Lil? Nah, I don't care, but it is
3: pretty. Can I have just a peek?
4: Well, that depends. Do you want to tell us who tried to fence three sacks of sheep in the Gugan market today?
0: No, I don't know anything. But you
4: would like to know it's in the box, wouldn't you, Warad that Lil? If I tell you, can I keep the box? It makes such beautiful music. That depends on how much you spill. <laughs> Grab a tablet and a stylus, Sergeant. This bird's ready to sing. The Syrian box torture really worked like a charm.
0: You know, I really learned something today. And so the baton, or whatever the Babylonians twirled instead of batons, is passed from one generation of policemen to the next. The fertile crescent Sumerian investigator's job will never be done, though, as long as there are complex irrigation systems, and yes... Ziggurats to serve and protect.
1: Good evening, fellow Americans, and welcome to Fox News's Pox and Phlegm. I'm your anchor, Jeff White, along with our special White House correspondent, Bobby Vanilla. But first, Merry Christmas.
0: Ah, How liberating it feels to say that, right, Bobby? Oh, absolutely, Jeff. And look around outside. It's a gorgeous, beautiful, white Christmas. None of those happy holidays greetings that somehow
1: robbed the American male of his manhood. Blanche, how did you get out of your Pox News holding cell and here into the studio? Your sentence was indeterminate. (laughs) Personal autonomy comes at a mighty high price for women these
2: days, am I right? You've got that right, Jeff, but even though my attractive blonde salary is much less than your jowly old man's salary, it was enough to buy some access into the studio. I still have to wear these leg irons, though, and handcuffs, of course.
1: And no taser, I see.
2: No taser.
0: And yet I still get an electrical charge out of seeing you in that snug, low-cut orange jumpsuit corporate's making you wear. I, I I like the taser better than being choked with your leg irons.
1: <laughs> Blanche, Blanche, Blanche. We need to get the show started, so let's get those elegant ankles of yours back under the table where they belong. Besides, choking Bobby isn't very Christmassy.
2: You're right, Jeff. Tasering him, lighting him up for Christmas, would have been more seasonal.
1: Speaking uh,
0: uh, of Christmas, Jeff... Don't we have a special guest today? A very prominent Republican who's leading the counteroffensive against this year's war on Christmas.
6: Is it me, Marjorie Taylor Greene? Am I your special guest today?
1: (laughs) No, it's not you, Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's a much more prominent noisemaker.
0: It's...
6: Well then, can I be the new blonde on pox and Flam?
0: No, Marjorie Taylor Greene, because our old, uh, previous blonde, Blanche, so attractively chained up now, has returned, so...
6: Well then, can I at least interrupt sometimes, just to get attention? Otherwise, it's just like the Holocaust. Yes, just
1: like the Holocaust, right you are, Marjorie Taylor Greene. But now let me finally... Introduce our first guest today on Pox and Flem, Sporting a fine helmet of freshly shellacked hair, it's Florida Governor Ron DeSantis.
8: So glad to be here, Jeff, Bobby, Lance. And I'm proud as a stuffed duck to be leading the counteroffensive against the war on Christmas, especially white Christmases, of course. Governor DeSantis. <laughs> Call me Governor DeSanta.
2: Santa? Really, Governor?
8: Well, sure. (laughs) Didn't I just give Massachusetts a heap of new citizens for some of their fraudulent voting? (laughs) My first white Christmas present to America.
2: But, Governor... DeSanta, isn't it true that Massachusetts welcomed these people you had shipped up north, thus making you an embarrassment, however temporary, to the party that we hope will rule America for a thousand years?
1: Blanche, how dare you go all journalistic on the governor? Guards!
2: Wait, wait! I, I take you back. Sorry, Governor DeSanta. I misspoke. I meant to say thank you for shaming and embarrassing all the coastal elites with your bold action of collecting and shipping people north.
1: That's better. Never mind, guards.
0: So then, Governor DeSanta, how soon will you be announcing your presidential run?
8: That's one of my white Christmas gifts. What's going to be a surprise? You see, the white Christmas counteroffensive is all about being cagey. It's about blame. Our side can't take over this great nation without rooting around like pigs after truffles. Looking for... scapegoats. Actually, we prefer to call them Mexicans massing in our borders.
2: Are
6: Jews with their space lasers?
8: Immigrants? Ukrainians? Don't matter. Whoever's handy. You see, all this happy holidays and happy Yakuza whatever is crowding out us Christian folk. Like packing too many people into an elevator. Why can't those people just take the stairs, I ask you? Why can't there be Christian elevators for a change? Those are indeed excellent and provocative questions, Governor
0: DeSanta. And elevators are the fastest way to get to the top.
2: Speaking of questions and getting to the top... Bobby's still squirming in his seat, waiting for your answer about your presidential ambitions.
1: Blanche, I
2: warned you about... That was Bobby's question, Jeff. I thought it was my job now to support the men.
0: Yes, but but that was uppity support, Blanche. I'm totally lost now. What was my question?
6: It was about hanging my pants, Bobby.
0: Oh, it was? If you say so, Marjorie Taylor Greene... So, Governor DeSanto, what about hanging Mike Pence?
8: <laughs> well, as part of my White Christmas counteroffensive, I'd give Mike Pence as a gift to the American people. That is, to whichever American people happen to be gathering outside his house or bunker. I'm sure
1: that's very generous of you, Governor. It would certainly enforce a new standard of loyalty among
8: our aspiring rulers. That's why it's so important that we say Merry Christmas. It sorts people into the right groups, Tells you whether they're with us or against us. Who's willing to carry a weapon and who isn't? Who's a Christian? And who doesn't really belong here? Did Jesus say, happy holidays? I don't think so.
2: (sighs) Governor DeSanta, let's return to Bobby's question, if we may.
1: Blanche, would you like me to call the guards?
2: Uh, On Bobby? You bet I would. Let him wear the snug, low-cut orange jumpsuit and ankle restraints for a while.
1: Wait, what? That's not what I meant.
2: So, Governor, when will you officially declare that you're running for president? And won't you therefore be running against a Republican predecessor to whom you've declared your eternal loyalty and devotion?
8: (laughs) There's one answer for both of those questions. You see, I've been inflaming the base by claiming that the last election was all frauded up with, you know, fraud. And since I'm a man of my word and I stick to it, that means his second term will be up in 2024. So he can't run again. And the field to be clear for me, It's a November Christmas miracle. Well, that's all the time we have now
1: for Pops and Flem. Tune in again in just a few minutes when we'll continue to marvel at the
0: weather. Look, Jeff, even outside our California studios, it's a white Christmas.
2: Are you sure that's not falling ash, Bobby?
8: Who
0: cares?
2: It's white!
8: You're enjoying Men in Charge, recorded before a live, simulated audience and broadcast from the Lincoln bedroom of the White House. Shh!
1: And now, listener, from the makers of British Buddy, or shall we say buddess detective shows like Rosemary and Time, Bayo and Foster, March and Jogger, and Hamster and Gino, it's the completely different Buddy Detective series, also set in Britain, also with unimaginably heavy use of video airbrushing for close-ups. It's Deirdre and Sleestack. Last time, we met Deirdre Blythington-Bump, A detective inspector who's earned her knocks poking into the linens of the cottages of South Sudbury Township. She's getting used to her new partner, D.I. Speaks to Meet, a bulbicide reptilian humanoid from ancient days. The unlikely pair investigated a murder at Ruby's American Tea Room. Now Deirdre gets the first human glimpse of the Sleestack world as they proceed you the murderer, one of speaks to meet's own people from South Sudbury to the Paleo-Permian Period.
9: Come, crime-solving partner and human appetizer, Deirdre. We must make it past these poisonous lianas to consult the Book of Skulls. What's this Book of Skulls when it's home? It is a document of the Sleazestack's descendants, given to us from the future. Its pages describe in detail every temporal incursion, every journey through time, up until this planet is destroyed by a nuclear fireball in year. Ah, well, I'm over describing.
7: Whatever you say, Pat. But I thought I demanded a chip shop.
9: And here one is. Did you think my people so backward that we wouldn't have fried battered meat and chips with a little lemon and malt vinegar?
7: Let me get me glasses all I, I can't read the menu from here. It's in Sleese
9: Hockey and uh, this is not a type of good fried battered meat or your kind.
7: <laughs> not hungry anyway. That leathery chaos looks like the London Zoo and Sandoval's charcuterie shop. We're both fed through a big heavy pan. Hey, here we are. The intellectual
9: archipelago of the Altruzian 4 forwards. you what? It's a library, Deirdre. The Book of Skulls will be inside. Here lies the entrance. Gordon Bennett. A body... Ooh, that a un- poor unfortunate. This is the last sleep that looked upon the Book of Skulls, human. It literally fried its sponge brain.
8: So,
7: we're not expected to survive our library jauntie? Let us enter and,
9: if necessary, face death with stoic bold lips.
7: It's so dark in here. I thought you were supposed to be quiet in a library, not bacon rind. Eh? What's
9: that? Your poetic cockney rhyming slang again?
7: Blind. It's so dark, we're blind. <coughs>
3: <coughs> Welcome, Deirdre. I'm glad that my plan worked. Who's that,
7: then? I warn you, I'm an armed police officer. Let me
9: light up my ocular orbs, human.
7: You mean you could have lit those up the whole time? Norman, what
9: are you doing here? Deirdre partner, Norman is the only half human, half sleistack.
3: Speaks to me. I'm glad that my message that I left with the human at Ruby's American tea room reached you.
7: Message? We
3: found a bloke with only half his skull on. Yes, the message I left was, I have killed this human to attract you as a mate speaks to meat. And here you are. S-s-s-s-s-s. Norman, you have entrapped me
9: and sleased that custom. As you know, detective inspectors among our people must not stop criminals, but aid them.
7: I get it now. It's a kind of opposite, topsy-turvy, upside-down world kind of thing. That
9: means I must accept your offer to me, Norman. Plus, I have loved you since 30 seconds ago, and want to present you with my egg cloaca.
7: Well, I thought this was going to be a mystery, but instead it's turned out to be a love story. Or possibly an animal planet documentary
3: Ah, but there is more mystery to be revealed, Deirdre Blivington Bump
7: Eh, yeah, why do you know my name Norman? What, do I still have my work name tag on?
3: Deirdre, your journey to our more advanced era of reptilian superiority was recorded in the book of Skulls here That was what sent me to Ruby's American Tea Room. It was important that we rescue you from your past. What do you mean, Norman? Well, it turned out that I ate a prosimian for lunch. Prosimian? What's that when it's at the bottom of the garden? A primitive
9: mammalian creature. Your evolutionary ancestor, human.
3: (laughs) Quite literally. This is why I love you speaks to me. You're so intuitive. The prosimian was only in some small degree tasty, but it also was, by a very large number of degrees, mind, one of Deirdre Blythington Bump's ancestors from this our time. Oh, it is likely that all of your millions of pro-Simeon, and
9: human mothers and fathers are slowly being wiped out of existence one by one, Deirdre, like back to the future.
7: There was only Auntie Vanessa. I never had time to have children. Wait, what have I
3: done with my life? As speaks to meets good friend Deirdre, I could not let my intended mate suffer your loss. <laughs>
7: That's a strange way to rationalise saving me life.
9: You are plucky, Deirdre. You were prosper here in the post-Eltrusian era of Earth's archaic
3: prehistory.
7: Yeah, about that. Whatever happened to those Altrusians, anyway?
3: They died out. No chip shops. shops.
9: <laughs>
1: and that's all the time we have today For Deirdre and Sleestack Tune in next time Or don't Our advertisers don't read the ratings reports
0: Men in Charge is brought to you today by Benign Crime Incorporated. Benign Crime chips away at your earnings in ways you always thought were legitimate, like taxes on food, federal subsidies for fossil fuels, corn-based snack products, online for-profit universities, and the math insurance companies use to declare your car totaled. Benign Crime, trousering your income since 1066. It's where your money goes.
1: Kevin, it's time to thank our cast for the uh, last and time until we do this again. Kevin Decker, Tony Flynn, Vern Wyndham, Scott Herrick, Ann Porter, Terry McMullen, Liam McMullen, Davis Hill, Nancy Roth, and Brian Lindsay. We'd also like to thank our writers, Tony Flynn, Kevin Decker, and Scott Herrick, and The Bad Plus for our theme music, Seven Minute Mind.
0: And we'd also like to offer a final and half heartfelt thanks to all the cast members of Men in Charge since 2014, our beginning, as well as to Vern Windham, Carrie Boyce, Nisha Schramm, Nancy Roth, Savannah Rothy, and the man who squirms down your chimney to eat your food late at night, Brian Lindsay.